Donald Trump cruised to another landslide victory in the New Hampshire primary. So what can voters expect heading into the next contest? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, Tesla has reportedly told suppliers it wants to start mass production of a cheaper model. But first... Former President Donald Trump won New Hampshire's primary as the Granite State reported a record GOP voter turnout. It marked the second contest in the 2024 Republican presidential nominating calendar, with Trump continuing to hold a commanding lead over Nikki Haley. The focus is now shifting to South Carolina. For more, let's bring in Brent Griffiths, a senior pol politics reporter with Insider. Thanks so much for joining us today. So first, just wanted to get your thoughts on the results from the New Hampshire primary. I think it was a pretty good night for the former president. Um, that being said, uh, Ambassador Haley and her allies continue to think that they have the momentum to stay in the race. Um, and I think you could kind of see from from President Trump's reaction last night that he was clearly frustrated um, by her insistence to stay in this race and to continue on to South Carolina. So what do you think uh, potentially uh, the thinking behind that is? Does she see a path forward? I think she sees a path forward. I think a lot of people in the party, especially national leaders, don't see the path that she sees forward. But certainly, as a former governor of South Carolina, she has always wanted to take this back to her home state and pull off um, a potential stunning upset there. And then to continue on to Super Tuesday, which is where this nomination would really get into the thick of it, as a lot of delegates would be up for grabs and we would start transitioning from kind of the media narrative race that we're in right now into a formal delegate race for the nomination. So for people who may not uh, necessarily understand these early primary contests, and of course, for global audiences, could you just talk a little bit about exactly what the primaries are? Sure. Um, it actually differs a little bit. Both Iowa and to some degree Nevada actually hold caucuses, which is a whole other animal. But the real upshot is that traditionally these four states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, lead off both parties' respective presidential nomination cycles. Um, there's a lot of history going back, especially with Nevada and South Carolina, or excuse me, with Iowa and, and New Hampshire as to why that is. But really, essentially, these are smaller, almost um, beauty contests, if you will, and that to actually win a party's nomination, you need thousands of delegates, and neither not, none of these states really by design offer that. And so what it does offer is for a chance for lesser known candidates to get established. It offers uh, an opportunity for the party when there's such a wide field of candidates, you know, you saw that in 2016, to really winnow it down as a race enters its real kind of um, thick of the schedule, usually on Super Tuesday, which is right around March, kind of around this time of the year. So everyone watched as the Iowa caucuses took place and then the New Hampshire primary. How do you think these results impact, if at all, the upcoming primary in South Carolina? I think, it, once again, you, you see that President Trump is, is continuing to dominate, which you would expect based on his standing in the national polls and, and really the polls of these uh, states that were taken before voters actually cast their ballots. 
I don't know if it will necessarily have an effect on South Carolina of itself, but look, uh, President Trump continues to have momentum in these states. Nevada technically actually will go before South Carolina, but because of the quirky way they're doing it this time around, neither um, Ambassador Haley nor President Trump will be on the same ballot. So really, we have a, a month-long slog if Ambassador Haley decides to stick it out um, until South Carolina, and then we're going to see a potential heated clash um, right there in the Palmetto State that may effectively determine this nomination. So you did mention Nevada and what's happening there this year, but we are still one month away from South Carolina. So what are potentially, uh, you know, some moves that we might see the candidates make in the next month? I think you, you might, unfortunately, um, potentially for your, some of your viewers, see this race get pretty personal. Um, you saw a little bit of, of kind of the policy debate in New Hampshire, a little bit of talk about, um, tax policy and, and what Governor Haley did versus what President Trump did. Governor Haley has also talked a lot about spending. But look, at the end of the day, for Republicans who don't like President Trump, it's not really about the policies that he chose when he was in the White House or even as a candidate. It's about him himself. And it's about the fact that he has dragged down some of the party and a lot of the elections. And also, you know, he's facing multiple indictments and 91 criminal charges. Um, at the same token, President Trump is widely popular within the Republican Party, and a lot of voters don't put a lot of stock into the prosecutions that are pending against them. And so for Ambassador Haley, she has to continue to try to thread this needle of going after President Trump without alienating some of the base that she would both need to be a nominee, but also need to bring together in the very unlikely event that she somehow um, challenged President Biden this coming November. Now, you mentioned the indictments, and obviously the former president uh, is facing a, a lot on his, his plate currently. Do, how do you see Trump dividing his time between campaigning and, uh, you know, fighting these race, recent cases against him? I think that's a really interesting question that gets at uh, one of the aspects of this race that has really fascinated me, which is that President Trump hasn't really campaigned in the way you would expect someone to campaign in a competitive GOP primary. He chose uh, voluntarily to be in court and to delay his, his entrance into New Hampshire after the Iowa caucuses. He chose again to be in court before Iowa. Um, most of these appearances, like I said, are, are volunteer. He doesn't have to be there. And yet he continues to win double digit victories, which really shows you that he doesn't really face a serious challenge. And for that reason, he can continue this kind of odd split screen of going to court one day and then going to the campaign trail either that night or the day after. And likely um, that's going to be what you see to continue. Now you're going to see the January 6th case against him start to heat up. You're going to see um, the documents case against him in Florida. There's, there's some issues there. And so really this could continue to be his schedule, especially if he became the nominee um, into the general election campaign come this summer. And just shifting gears to the Democrats, what is President Biden doing to get momentum for 2024? I think President Biden is, is at uh, his luxury right now to really focus on building his campaign operation. And the most important part of that is money. You know, the reality is the longer that President Trump spends in a primary campaign, he and his allies have to expend resources that they would either have to recoup before November or they just won't have. And the most important resource in any uh, campaign, as cliche as it is to say, is time. And the reality is, is that the more that President Biden can focus on building that organization, the more time President Trump has to worry about the nomination, 
uh, the greater chance that Democrats feel they can draw those contrasts and really start to go after President Trump before he can turn his full attention to President Biden um, in a likely rematch come November. Brent Griffiths from Insider, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the United States is determined to remain a strong security partner for Nigeria. Blinken also discussed challenges to democracy and security in the region during his recent trip to the area. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has said the United States will remain a strong security partner for Nigeria. That's during a four-country African tour that has focused in part on the entwined issues of security and Russia's growing influence in the region. The US, Britain and others have long been Nigeria's allies in its battle against insurgents, including Boko Haram. On security. Speaking alongside his counterpart Yusuf Tugar on Tuesday, Blinken extended his condolences to the victims of recent attacks. As I told the president and the foreign minister, the United States will support Nigeria as it works to bring about a more secure, a more peaceful and a more prosperous future for its people. Lincoln's tour has largely been focused on West Africa, where costly internationally-backed military efforts have struggled to contain rising jihadist militancy. The increased insecurity has in part fueled several coups. For Western powers, that's also prompted fears of Russia's expanding influence. In Mali, for example, the junta booted French troops out and brought in Russian mercenary group Wagner. Niger, a key U.S. ally against Sahel militants, has also kicked out French troops and severed security pacts with the European Union. Last week, Russia said it had agreed to develop military cooperation with Niger. Nigeria offers real, clear, compelling opportunities for investors. In Nigeria, Blinken also discussed long-term barriers to investment in Nigeria, including corruption and the repatriation of capital. Africa's biggest economy has about $7 billion in forex forward that have matured. That's a major concern for investors as foreign currency shortages weigh on the Naira, despite central bank assurances to clear the backlog. Will Tesla cars be more affordable in the future? According to reports, the firm has told suppliers it wants to start mass production of a cheaper model. Tesla cars could soon be getting more affordable. Reuters sources say the firm has told suppliers it wants to start mass production of a cheaper model in mid-2025. Two of the sources described the vehicle as a compact crossover. Right now, Tesla's cheapest car is the Model 3, which starts at just under $39,000 in the US. But boss Elon Musk has long vowed to deliver a much cheaper vehicle. He's promised to make one that can be sold at $25,000. That plan may now be more urgent. Tesla faces mounting competition from rivals like BYD, which can undercut it on price. The Chinese firm overtook Musk's company as the world's top maker of EVs in the final quarter of last year. High interest rates are another worry. They could crimp demand for relatively expensive cars like Tesla's. Now the Reuters sources say a model codenamed Redwood is being prepared for its debut. They say Tesla has contacted suppliers about parts. It has forecast weekly production of 10,000 units, with output to begin in June next year. 
However, analysts warn the firm has a long history of missing targets for launch dates and pricing. The firm didn't comment on the reports, but Musk did say last year that Tesla was working on two new products with a potential for combined sales of 5 million units per year. Thanks for watching In America Today. I'm Veronica Dudo. For more, head to tickernews.co. Stay with us. More ticker coming up.